Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you all doing today? نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما Today inshallah we will study a very very important hadith about the day of judgment Hadith number 663 حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا يحيى عن عبيد الله قال حدثني خبيب بن عبد الرحمن عن حفص بن عاصم عن ابي هريره عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said سبعتن, there are seven people يظلهم الله Allah will provide them shade في ظله in his shade when يوم on the day when la dhilla there is no shade illa dhillu except for his shade so seven people allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them his shade the day when there will be no shade except for the shade of allah who are those seven people first of all al imam al adil the imam the leader who is adil meaning who is just and fair secondly washabun and a youth, nasha'a, who has developed, meaning who has grown up, fi ibadati rabbihi, in the worship of his Lord. Meaning, a young person who has been worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from a very, very young age. So basically, his youth has been spent in the worship of Allah. Warajulun, thirdly, and a man, qalbuhu, his heart, mu'allaqun, connected, joined, fil masajid, in the masjid, meaning his heart is constantly connected with the masjid. It's attached to the masjid. Then, وَرَجُلَانِ And two men, تَحَابَّا Who both love one another, فِي اللَّهِ For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, اجتمعَ They both join, meaning they both meet one another. عَلَيْهِ Upon it, meaning for this love. وَتَفَرَّقَ And they both separate. عَلَيْهِ Upon it, meaning because of that love. So they love one another for whose sake? Allah's sake. So if they meet, they meet for the sake of Allah. And if they depart, they depart for the sake of Allah. Then, وَرَجُلٌ and a man, طَلَبَتْهُ She seeks him. Meaning she asks him, إِمْرَأَةٌ A woman, ذَاتُ منصب, One who is of noble lineage. So a noble woman, from a great family, very prestigious family. So basically someone who's from the elite of the society, she invites him and she's also wajamalin and she also has beauty. So a beautiful and noble woman, she calls him to haram, but faqala, but he says, inni Allah, indeed I fear Allah. And then warajulun and a man tasaddaqa, who gives sadaqa, akhfa secretly, hatta until la ta'lama, does not know shimaluhu his left ma tunfiqu what it has spent yaminuhu his right his left hand does not know what his right hand has given and then warajulun and a man dhakarallaha who remembers allah khaliyan while alone fafadat aynahu so his eyes are filled up meaning with tears so in this hadith we learn about seven types of people the question is, is it seven individuals or seven kinds of people? Is it the characteristic or the person? 
It's the characteristic. It's the kinds of people. So in this hadith, basically, the seven types of people are mentioned. So basically, seven characteristics. Even if one of them is found in an individual, all right, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will honor him with his shade on the day of judgment. Now the question is, what is this shade? Why is it important to have this shade on the day of judgment? On the day of judgment, you know that the day of judgment will start by the blowing of the trumpet. Some scholars said the trumpet will blow two times. And others said it will blow three times. The first time that it will blow, it will cause great fear and panic. And this is when the the destruction of the heavens and the earth will begin basically. That the earth, the mountains will will finish, they will disperse, the rivers, the waters set on fire. Right? In the Quran we learn about the different events that will take place, causing the entire earth to be destroyed completely. Causing the entire earth to be flattened completely. So the first time the trumpet is blown, the second time it is blown, and the third time that the trumpet will be blown, then what will happen? All the creation that is dead, and basically the entire creation will be dead, will come back to life. It will be resurrected. So basically resurrection will take place. Immediately after resurrection, what is going to happen? As people come out of their graves, min al-ajdathi, from their graves, they will rush to the sound from where the call is coming. And what is that place? The place of hashr, the place of gathering. And the place of hashr, where the entire creation will be gathered together, falam nugadir minhum ahada, not even one will be left behind, what will happen? People will be in a very difficult situation. Why? Because first of all, the sun will be brought very, very near. In a hadith we learn the distance will only be of one meal. Only one meal. Now what is that meal? Is it the mile of the earth that we know of? Allahu A'lam. But we see that the distance between the place of Hashr and the sun is going to be very little. And as a result, people will be sweating profusely. Some people will sweat so much that their sweat will be coming up to their mouths. Others will be drowning in their sweat and others will be less. Why is it that some people will be less or more in their sweat? Because of their deeds. Because of their deeds. So some people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will save them from the intense heat of the Day of Judgment. How? That He will provide them shade. On the day when there will be no shade except His shade. Now what does it mean by His shade? Meaning the shade that Allah will give to a servant on that day. The shade that Allah will give to a servant on that day. And that will be through various forms. So for instance, in hadith we learn that a person will be under the shade of his sadaqah. Because you know that when the earth is flattened completely, there is no mountain, there is no tree, there is no building, people will not even have any clothes, no umbrella, nothing to hide under, nothing to take shelter from. So who is it that will be sheltered from the sun on that day, from the heat of that day? Those whom Allah will give shade. Alright? And how will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give shade to people? Through various ways. Some will be given shade under His throne. Others will be given shade under their good deeds. So for instance, every person will be under the shade of His charity. About Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran, what do we learn? That they will come on the Day of Judgment in the form of two clouds. Right? Giving shade to those people who memorized them, who read them, who implemented them. Right? And there are many uh, other ahadith also 
from which we learn about the different actions that will be a source of shade and protection for a person on the day of judgment. In this hadith, what do we learn? About seven types of people. So is it necessary that we know about it? Because if a person doesn't have shade on that day, then what will he do? How can he be saved? So first of all, who is it that will be provided shade? Imam Adil. An Imam that is Adil. A leader who is just. A just Imam. Now the question is, who is an Imam? Before that actually, what is Adil? Who is Adil? The one who does? The one who does? Adil. What is one of the most difficult things for people to do? Adil. It is very, very difficult. Very difficult. Because when you have two or more people under your care, even if it's two children, then adl becomes very difficult. Very difficult. It's very easy to miss it. It's very easy to swerve away from it. So it's something very, very difficult. And the greater authority a person has, the more difficult it becomes. Because then, you have the authority to do whatever you want. But at the same time, you're required to be just. So on the one hand, you have the ability to be unjust. And on the other hand, you're required to be unjust. So it's a, it's a big struggle. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. So the one who is just and fair, Allah will give him shade. Now the question is, who is Imam? One is Amir. Another is Imam. Imam is basically the one who is the sultatil ulia fi qawmihi, meaning the one who has the highest authority amongst his people. Amongst his people, he has the highest authority. Alright? Meaning he is the highest in power, the greatest in power amongst his people. You see, an amir can be appointed by someone. You are in charge of such and such people. Alright? And the amir is answerable. Isn't he? The Amir is answerable to who? To the one who appointed him. But the Imam, who is he answerable to? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Because there is no other human being that is above him. Don't compare this with uh, today's system of governance because these days with democracy, I mean, it's a whole different situation. Alright? But in many situations it happens that a person, he's not answerable to anyone with regards to what he's doing or with regards to the people that he is dealing with. So for example, father in a family, he can beat his children, he can abuse them, he can be rude to his wife. Who is he answerable to? Who is he answerable to? People say, doesn't he have his father? Can his father not advise him? Let's say his father is dead already. Isn't there anyone whom he's afraid of? It's possible he's not. And we see that many people, when they are in this position, they commit a lot of injustice. They're very abusive. Because who's going to ask them? Who's going to question them? Nobody. Nobody can question them. Right? So the person who has this much power, this much authority, he can do anything he wants, and he's not answerable to anyone, no one is going to hold him accountable. But still, if he is fair and just, then Allah will give him shade on the Day of Judgment. Because he can only be fair and just out of whose fear? Out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Other people in authority, they'll be fair. Why? Because they're answerable. 
their mother is going to ask them, their father is going to ask them, their in charge is going to ask them, their husband is going to question them. But many times it happens that we are free. So there is no one to ask us, no one to question us. A husband can be unfair towards the wife, the wife can be unfair towards the husband. Right? Sometimes it's the rest of the family that holds the husband and wife accountable. But other times that family is not there. That family, that dynamic is not present. So in that situation where a person is just and fair out of the fear of Allah, that is from ikhlas. That is from sincerity. That is from the fear of Allah. So such a person will be granted shade on the Day of Judgment. Secondly, the one who has... A youth who grows up worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nasha'a. Notice the word nasha'a? Insha is what? To, to, to cause something to grow and develop. Like for example, a plant. How is it at the beginning? So small, just a shoot. And then it grows taller and bigger and stronger. And then it has leaves. And it grows stronger and bigger. It has flowers. grows taller and bigger until it's a tree, a strong tree. Right? So this is insha'a. Now the youth who has grown up in the worship of Allah. What does this mean? That from the time of childhood, he is busy in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What happens is that children, what is it that we say about them? They need to play. And because of that play, we think they don't need to memorize the Quran. They can do it later. They don't need to go to the masjid. They can go later. Right? We keep deferring it. We keep delaying it until later comes. But what happens is that whatever a person does in their early years, that is what they are inclined towards as they grow up. Isn't that so? That is what they incline towards when they grow up. That is what becomes easier for them. So a person who worships Allah in their youth, imagine it will be easier for them to worship Allah when they are older. And even easier when they are you know, in their old age. Why is it that people struggle when it comes to reciting the Quran on a daily basis? Or when it comes to praying salah regularly on time? Why? Because they haven't done that when they were young. They did not do it when they were young. Even the recitation of the Quran. If they did it when they were young, when they're older, it's much easier. Isn't that so? So the one who grows up in the worship of Allah. Now, whose responsibility is this? It's the parents. It's the people who are around the child. That yes, children learn through play, but what are they learning through play? Is it just the colors and is it just the numbers and it, is it just songs? Or is it something that will help them become better worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as they grow older? Right? Because there are many things that children will learn with age, whether you teach them in a classroom or not. That even when it comes to the matter of hijab, for instance, if a girl is not used to wearing it when she was younger, then how can she wear it when she's older? Right? Because then, remember, whatever a child does, uh, child does, that is what uh, he's inclined towards when he grows up. Right? So if the clothing is inappropriate, too short, then what will happen as a child grows up? It'll be difficult for them to change their clothing. So this is why it is necessary that whatever we feel is important for for older people, we also train our children to do the same thing. The same thing. Whether it is with regards to clothing, or it is with regards to you know, listening to something or not listening to something. 
So for example, we don't listen to music ourselves, but we put Barney on for children and they're dancing and singing and listening to music for half an hour for 45 minutes. How is it possible that when this child grows up, he will not want to listen to music? It's going to be very difficult for them. So we make the life of our children more difficult. Recently, I met this girl who had her baby and somebody was making her listen to some songs on YouTube. Innocent songs, all right, but with a lot of music. A lot of music. And it was bothering me. And I thought this poor child is just staring at the screen, constantly listening to music. I said, please don't make your pure child listen to music. Allah has created children on fitra. They are pure, they are clean, and we corrupt them. If they're listening to this much now, what will happen when they grow older? So this is why it's very important that from a young age this training begins. And you will see that when when the children are given this training from a young age, as they grow older, they will be after you. Alhamdulillah, with my son I was very particular that nothing with music, nothing at all. So even if you know there is a video or anything, the volume has to be low. Now Alhamdulillah, he controls it himself. If there is anything says music, turn it off. You know, reduce the volume. And when we're out somewhere, then it's very difficult because we go out somewhere and there's music. He says, Mama, there's music here. We need to get out of here. So Alhamdulillah, this is a blessing, but it was a lot of effort because it's very easy to put a video on for one hour and leave the children in front of the TV while you can cook easily. Right? But then if you want to do what is what is different, then you have to sit with the child. Right? Instead of making him listen to... Uh, books through Sesame Street or something, you read the book directly to the child. It's difficult. You have to sacrifice, but it will pay off. Many think house chores are important, but when it comes to the tarbi of the child, what he deserves from you at, at a young age, that is far more important. And the impact that it will have on his life as he grows older, that is very important. So the youth who grows up in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I remember uh, we went somewhere once and there was a lady, she told us that my son, when he was three years old, he started praying salah with us. And since then he's been praying. Since he was three years old. I was amazed. But this is when the child will see the father praying, the mother praying, the grandmother praying. Then what will happen? Little children also, they will start imitating. They will start giving the adhan. They will start reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. Also what we learn from this is that the obedience of the worship of the youth, meaning when a youth, when a young person worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is better than the worship and obedience of an older person. Why? Because for a youth it is more difficult. For a young person it is more difficult. Why? Because there's so many distractions, so many temptations, right? And for an older person, you know, he has this realization that I'm not going to live long. Maximum I live is maybe 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 5, right? Uh, as a person, you know, grows older, he has this realization that I'm not here for very long. But a young person, he has a whole life ahead of him, or that's what he's told. So there is more temptation for him. So if he cuts out on that and spends his time in the worship of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciates that a lot. And Allah will bless him with the shade, special shade on the Day of Judgment. Then third, is the one whose heart is attached to the masjid, mu'allaq. 
And this is the reason why Imam Bukhari has mentioned this hadith. The person whose heart is attached to the masjid. Now what does it mean by this? The one who performs a prayer in the masjid, and then he is looking forward to the next prayer. He is looking forward to the next prayer. He went to the masjid, prayed salah, came back, but his heart is still where? Still connected to the masjid. Right? So the masjid is constantly pulling him back. His heart is connected to it. And why is it that he wants to go to the masjid? Why is his heart connected to the masjid? Obviously for the purpose of prayer, for the purpose of doing what the masajid are built for. Dhikrullah, qira'ah, ta'aleem, right? All of these things. And some ulama, they said that this doesn't just refer to the person who goes to the masjid. Okay? Because masjid is what? A place of sajda, a place of prayer. Right? So any place of worship, any place of worship, whether it is a person's local masjid, or it is um, you know, a place where people get together to perform salah, like for example a musalla. Alright? And even they said that if there is a person who is not able to go to the masjid, alright, but he performs salah at home because of some genuine udr, like for example a man is sick, alright, he's not able to go to the masjid. But his heart is connected to prayer. Meaning after one prayer, he's waiting for the next one. He's looking forward to the next one. Then such a person is also included in this. This is not just for the one who goes to the masjid for every prayer, but for the one who is, whose heart is connected to prayer itself. Yes, that salah is the priority, right? Constantly on, on the back of the mind, what is important? Salah, salah, salah. So... Mu'allaq bil masajid, meaning not just the masjid, but prayer itself. And this is why the ulama have said that even a woman is included in this. The one who doesn't go to the masjid, but the one who prays at home. Because she's not required to go to the masjid. But after each prayer, she's concerned about the next one. But unfortunately, many times what happens? That people take salah as a burden. Okay, there's only two hours left, so I better do this because then salah will come. Right? Or that now it is time for this salah, so I can't do this, I can't go here, I can't do that. And salah is taken as a burden. Salah is taken as a burden. So let's start thinking about salah differently. Look forward to the prayer because it's a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A chance to have our sins erased. Because remember that every day the children of Adam, they light fire for themselves. Right? How? With their sins. And when the time of prayer enters, then a caller calls that all children of Adam get up and extinguish the fire that you have kindled for yourselves. So when they perform wudu, their sins are washed off. And when they perform the salah, then the fire is extinguished. Then again, this happens. For every prayer, this happens. Until some people, they go to bed clean, and others, they go to bed while they're covered in sin. In the grave also, what is it that will shield a person from the punishment of the grave? His salah. Because when the punishment will approach him, the salah will become a barrier. And the salah will say, you cannot go past me. You cannot go past me. The salah will become a barrier. On the day of judgment also, one of the first questions will be about salah. So the person whose heart is attached to salah, to the place of salah, then Allah will give him shade on the day of judgment. Special shade on the day of judgment. And then there is another degree which is that the one whose heart is mu'allaq billah 
not just with salah or with the masjid, but connected with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, he's always thinking about who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ All the time remembering Allah, praising Allah, being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the Day of Judgment, we learn that some people will be given a lot of honor. And who are they? Hamadun. Those who do a lot of hamd. At the place of hashr, hamadun comes in hadith. So those who remember Allah, heart is constantly going back to Allah. Munib. Right? Munib. Then, fourthly, the two who love one another, why? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the sake of Allah's deen, there is no other connection between them. What is it that causes people to love one another? Generally, what is the cause? What is the factor? Okay, so for example, there is a relationship. So for instance, a sister loves a sister. Why? Because they have this blood relationship between them. They're connected. They grew up together. They spent a lot of time together. They have similar habits, similar interests. So as a result, naturally there is love between them. Alright, what is another reason for love? Okay, benefits, right? Friendship also, if you think about it, there's there's always some reason behind it. Why is it that a person becomes friends with one individual and not the other? Because you enjoy the company, you're not alone, right? There's somebody who's calling you, you're calling someone, you can share your feelings with someone, they can share with you, right? So there's some benefit, there's some you know, mutual benefit. But we see over here what is mentioned. They love one another only for whose sake? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They come together. Ijtama'a. They, they meet. Why? Because of the deen. So for example, a person travels in order to meet someone. Why? So that they can go shopping together. And that they can go out to eat together. And they can go to some amusement park together. No, what is the objective? That this person, I got to know them because of Allah's deen. Through the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through the deen of Allah, I met them. And every time I meet them, I learn something beneficial. I increase in my faith. There's something good that I learn from them. Recently I traveled to meet someone and every time I I spend time with them, uh, there's something, something new that I learn from them. Every time. And I always look forward to meeting them. And this time, the one thing that I saw in them was that they never get stressed out. No matter what happens, they don't stress out. Such a hectic schedule we had, but not even once did I see this person frowning. Or panicking, or worrying. Every time, laugh, smile, you know, kind words. Hmm? So every time, you know, there's a chance to meet her, I'm always looking forward to it. Excitement. Right? So anyway, when a person meets someone for the sake of Allah and loves them for the sake of Allah, then what happens is that that meeting will also increase them in their love for Allah. It will increase them in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What happens is that many times people meet through deen. Because of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they meet one another. And then what happens? Who do they forget? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will go to a masjid 
and ask the imam, do you know any religious girl? Do you know any religious boy? We're looking for a spouse. So what happens? Marriage happens. And then who doesn't come to the masjid anymore? The same people. People who are very actively involved in the masjid now, they're nowhere to be found. What is mentioned over here? Ijtama'a, they both come together. Rajulani tahabba fillahi ijtama'a alayhi wa tafarraqa alayhi. Meaning, the whole time, they are in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't forget Allah. And if they have to go their own ways, meaning they have to separate, so for example, one traveled to meet the other and now he has to go back home. Why is he going back home? Again, because have to obey Allah. Have to go back home to be, you know, to, to serve my family or to serve my parents, to fulfill my duties. Because what happens is that sometimes when we are with our friends, we just want to be with them. We say, oh, they're talking about such good things. I don't want to go back and do my work. I don't have time to do my lesson. I don't have time to prepare for my test. I don't have time to prepare for my class tomorrow. The love, friendship, that is because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of His deen, it doesn't end in this world. It continues to the hereafter. Because in the Quran, we learn about the person who will, يَوْمَ يَعَضُّ ظَالِمُ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ he will bite at his hands. Why? Because why did I not follow the Prophet? And this friend of mine, he led me astray. Many times people come together for the sake of Allah. But then they forget Allah. They forget their responsibilities. They forget their prayer. They forget the Quran. right? And the label is friendship for the sake of Allah. But what is being neglected? Allah, Allah, His rights are being neglected. Right? So those who meet for the sake of Allah, remain like that until they separate. Then, fifth is the person who is invited by who? The woman who is not a prostitute. So she's not an ordinary woman who can be enjoyed or used by anyone. No. This is a woman who is noble. From an, from an honorable family. And at the same time, she's also beautiful. You might not understand this. We might not understand this because we're not men. Right? But for a man to be in the situation that he is being invited by a woman, and not just any woman, but a woman who is beautiful and from a noble family, how difficult it would be for him to refuse her. First, he has to fight against his, you know, the, the, the temptation, his desire. And secondly, how difficult it would be for him to refuse her. Because it's, you know when somebody ordinary asks you to do something, you can just say no, and you can ignore them. But if someone who is rich and wealthy, and someone who's uh, impressed you, I mean, if you say no to them, it's very difficult. It's embarrassing. You fear that, you know, they might harm you in the future. Yusuf alayhi salam, Right? So how is it that a person can refuse? Only if he has the fear of Allah. Only if he has the fear of Allah. Then sixth, the person who spends from his right hand so secretly that his left hand even does not know what the right hand gave. What does it mean by this? What is meant is quwwatul ikhfa, That how very, very secretly a person gave that nobody found out. Typically what happens is that when we intend to give sadaqah somewhere, we consult our 
family members. So for example, you receive an email or something, so you show it to your husband. Do you think it's a good idea? But that's because you want to encourage them also. But then sometimes what happens is that we share it with our friend, with our spouse, and then we think we've done the job. Right? We think we've done it, and we don't actually get to doing it. We think just by sharing, we have fulfilled our responsibility. But the thing is that sometimes also give sadaqah secretly that no one knows about it except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously His angels, but other than that, no, I mean, obviously no human being is aware of the sadaqah that you gave. You don't have to announce, just quietly go and put the food in the food bank. And you know, if you think about what's mentioned over here, that the left hand does not know. When you're handling money, right, or you're handling things, you're counting them, you're putting them, you use both hands. Isn't it? You use both hands, typically. But this is like you gave it so swiftly, so secretly, so quietly, so spontaneously, that your left hand had no share in it. Just quietly took it out of the pocket and in. We start counting. That is also okay sometimes. Alright? But this should also be given attention. And seventh, the person who remembers Allah khaliyan. Khaliyan. Meaning when He is alone. There is no one over there. What happens is that we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when somebody reminds us. So for example, we're sitting in a classroom or you know in a halaqa and somebody's talking about you know something and then that reminds us of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His power, His generosity, His reward and that makes us cry. But there are so many people over there. Or for example, we're standing in prayer and the imam is reciting the Qur'an and because of that, we cry. Good. But what is mentioned over here is different. And what is that? When a person is absolutely alone, there's no one around him. No one is talking to him about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is alone. He remembers Allah Himself alone. And because of that, he cries. So khaliyan min nas means khaliyan fil makan. Alone, in place. There's no person over there with him. Now from other ahadith we learn about a person, another type of person who will be given shade by Allah on the Day of Judgment. And who is he? The one who gives respite to the debtor or forgives the loan completely. In a hadith which is in Musnad Ahmad, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever loves that Allah should provide him with his shade should give respite to the one in difficulty. Who is the one in difficulty? The one who's taken a loan from you, who's borrowed something from you, but he's struggling and he's not able to return it to you immediately. So the one who gives respite to him, he says, okay, you don't have to return it to me now. Give it next month. Okay, next year. He keeps you know, deferring that for him to make things easier for him. Or he should remove the burden from him completely. Meaning he should forgive him for the loan completely. Not demand it from him anymore. So this person will be given the shade of Allah on the day of judgment. In another hadith we learn that each Muslim, each believer will be إِنَّمَا يَسْتَظِلُّ الْمُؤْمِنُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فِي ظِلِّ صَدَقَتِهِ That the believer will take the shade of what? Of his sadaqah 
on the day of judgment. So these seven characteristics that are mentioned over here, remember they are not limited to seven. There are more. Now for among these, what is it that we can do? What is it that's possible for us? Okay, we're not imam. Alright. Okay, youth is also gone for many people. Huh? Qalb mu'allaq. We can try to do that. And then, loving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, spending how? Secretly. And then, remembering Allah when alone. Who is it that we remember when we're alone? Those whom we like. Right? Those whom we're missing. Those whom we love. So if a person loves Allah, then he will remember Him when he is alone. When we are alone, we remember our problems, our pains, and our sufferings. Right? And we feel pity for ourselves that I am alone, there is no one with me, no one who understands me. But at that time, if we remember Allah, and this happens in Ramadan also, when a person goes for Umrah, for Hajj, or in the month of Ramadan also, what happens is that after every prayer, a person is looking forward to the next one. That's how the whole day is spent. The thing is that if she's not answerable to anyone at all, in any capacity, when a woman is in charge of her house, she's answerable to her husband. Right? Very true. If you think about it, all of these seven characteristics, they result from, these actions result from the fear of Allah, basically from ikhlas. Right? What your right hand does, your left hand should not know. Even the people who are sitting next to you, they don't need to know. And these days, alhamdulillah, it's so easy to give sadaqah, secretly, quietly. I mean, you could give it online and nobody will know. Nobody will know. There's so many ways of doing it. حدثنا قتيبة قال حدثنا إسماعيل بن جعفر عن حميد قال سئل أنس هل اتخذ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خاتما Anas was asked, did the Prophet ﷺ wear a ring? فَقَالَ نَعْمْ So he said, yes, he used to wear a ring. أَخَّرَ لَيْلَةً He said that one night, the Prophet ﷺ delayed Salat al-Ishai, the Isha prayer, إِلَى شَطْرِ اللَّيْلِ Until half the night had passed. ثُمَّ أَقْبَلَ عَلَيْنَا بِوَجْهِ Then he came to us, بِوَجْهِهِ بَعْدَ مَا صَلَّى ثُمَّ أَقْبَلَ Then he turned his face to us. So basically, he turned towards us with his face. Alright? Meaning he faced us. He looked at us. So after the salah, he turned back and looked at us. فَقَالَ And he said, وَرَقَدُوا The people prayed and they went to sleep. وَلَمْ تَزَالُوا And as for you, you remained fi salatin in prayer. مُنْذٌ تَوَرْتُمُوهَا As long as you were waiting for it. قَالَ He said, meaning Anas anhu said, فَكَأَنِّي So it is as if I أَنظُرُ إِلَى وَبِيسِ خَاتَمِهِ It is as though I can see the glint of his ring. When he was sitting there, looking at us, and telling us this, his ring was shining, and I remember that. And it, it is as though I can see it, now even. Now from this hadith, what do we learn? The bab Basically, if you go back, is من جلس في المسجد ينتظر الصلاة وفضل المساجد The one who waits for the prayer. So from this hadith we learn that as long as a person is waiting for prayer, no matter how long it is, he is being rewarded for that. He is as though in prayer. And in this hadith we also learn about one more thing, which is that the Prophet ﷺ used to wear 
a ring. So this shows that men are allowed to wear rings. But remember that the ring of the Prophet ﷺ was of silver. Right? Because it had a white glint. It was not of gold. Why? Because gold is forbidden. On who? On the men. On the women it's permissible. But for the men, it is not permissible. Which kind of gold is forbidden for the men? Which kind of gold is forbidden for men? Is it just the yellow gold or all kinds of gold? Because when it comes to white gold, people get a little confused that it's white, it's not golden. But the thing is that it is, it has gold in it. Right? The color of the gold is determined by what is mixed with the gold. Because gold itself is very soft. Right? So something has to be added to it in order to make it hard. So for instance, if copper is added, then that gold will have you know, a red shade to it, which is called rose gold. If silver is added to it or some other, you know, white shining material is added to it, then it will be white. Alright? And depending on the percentage also. But remember that any kind of gold, whether it is white, yellow, rose, blue, green, any kind of gold, if it's gold, it is not permissible for men. But when it comes to other materials, such as silver, it is permissible. Likewise, titanium, platinum, stainless steel, okay, any material, it is permissible. Okay. Also, we see in this hadith that the ring of the Prophet ﷺ was shining. Right? So it is okay for a person to wear nice things, even if they're shiny. Because in the night, the ring of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, the glint of it was, was visible. Imagine in the darkness, the ring, it caught someone's eye. Anas who noticed it. So it shows that a person can wear shiny, nice, glittery things. For the women, obviously, simple rule, that don't display that in front of non-Muhram men. Otherwise, is it permissible to wear these things? Of course. A man asked the Prophet ﷺ, we like to wear good things, you know, good shoes, nice nice clothes. So what was the answer that was given? Allah is jameel and yuhibbul jamal. Allah is beautiful and He loves Jamal. What is Jamal? Tajambul, meaning to beautify oneself. So it's it's perfectly permissible. Also one more thing, that the question is, is it sunnah for men to wear a ring? The Prophet ﷺ wore a ring, yes. So let's say a man, he says, I want to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and I want to wear a ring too. Is it sunnah for him? No, it is not a sunnah. But remember that it is mubah, it is permissible. Men are allowed to wear rings. It is not musnoon for them to wear rings. Because the Prophet ﷺ wore a ring, but we don't see that other companions, they also did. Not every single one of them did. However, remember that the ring of the Prophet ﷺ served a particular purpose. And what was that? It was also a signet, right? Because he used to sign the letters you know, with, with the imprint of the ring. Alright? Wax was put and then he would impress on it so that his name would show. Right? To show that that letter was really from him. Alright? So, because of this reason, some scholars said that if it's, you know, like a qadi, a judge, a ruler, right? For him it is sunnah to wear a ring. Okay? If he's going to use it for the same purpose, then for him it is sunnah. But if he's not going to use it for the same purpose, then it's not a sunnah for him. Also remember that a man can wear a ring in any hand, right or left, 
and any finger except for the pointer finger and the middle finger. Why? Because in a hadith we learn Ali radhiallahu anhu said that he was forbidden from wearing a ring in these two fingers, the pointer finger for men primarily, right? They're not allowed to wear rings in these two fingers, but other any hand, okay? Any finger, it's permissible. Bab fadli man ghada ila al-masjid wa man raha. The excellence of the one who ghada ila al-masjid. What is ghada? From ghudwa, right? Ghadat. What is that? Morning. So ghada, he went in the morning. Woman raha. Raha is from rawah. What is rawah? Evening. So goes in the evening. So the one who goes to the masjid in the morning and in the evening. Has it ever happened with you? Maybe in Ramadan it happens with you. That you come to Al-Hula in the morning and in the evening you're coming again for taraweeh. And you might feel like, oh, the whole day is spent here. Might as well spend the night here. Right? Might as well move here. So, or it may happen with you know men that they're going to the masjid for fajr and they're going to the masjid for zuhur, asr, or at least for isha. So they're going in the morning and in the evening. It seems like it's difficult or it's a waste of time. But is it a waste of time? Not at all. Not at all. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا يزيد بن هارون قال أخبرنا محمد بن مطرف عن زيد بن أسلم عن عطاء بن يسار عن أبي هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من غدا إلى المسجد The one who goes to the masjid in the morning وراحة and also in the evening أعد الله له الله will prepare for him نزله his نزل من الجنة in جنة كُلَّمَا غَدَى أَوْ رَاحَ Every time he goes in the morning and in the evening. So basically, every time that a person goes to the masjid morning and evening, so let's say he does that three times a week or four times a week. So what has happened each time? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his nuzul prepared for him in Jannah. What is nuzul? Hospitality, that which is prepared for a guest. This includes the residence and this includes everything else that is kept in the residence for the guest who is arriving. So if a person gets to go to the masjid morning and evening, twice a week, then he has two nuzul prepared in Jannah. If he does it thrice a week, then he has three. And imagine, if he does it more, there is more. Every time a person goes in the morning evening, he will have nuzul prepared. And what is meant by morning? Why would a person go in the morning? For Fajr. Because that's the first point, right? And in the evening, for Asr. Alright? So, because the beginning of morning is marked by Fajr prayer. And the beginning of the evening is marked by Asr prayer. But also if you think about it, many times it happens that we, we go to a masjid. Right? Why? Because we are working there, we're studying there. But that's not our main goal. So we avoid that area and we go elsewhere and just focus on our work and then go back. But if we're going in the morning through the masjid to the masjid, might as well just pray two rakah over there. So we are considered as those who go to the masjid in the morning. Sometimes it happens, men go inside to pray and the women are just sitting in the car. Yes, not obligatory on you. For sure, it's not fard on you. If there's something else more important or uh, something that is more more of your responsibilities, for example, looking after the children, all right, then it's okay. But when there's nothing preventing you, nothing at all preventing you, 
then why not be of those people who are going to the masjid morning and evening and getting that reward. In a hadith we learn that إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَيُنَادِي يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Allah will call out on the day of judgment, meaning in the plain of Hashr when people are gathered, Allah will say, أَيْنَ جِرَانِي أَيْنَ جِرَانِي Where are my neighbors? Where are my neighbors? فَتَقُولُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ So the angels will say, رَبَّنَا وَمَنْ يَمَّغِي أَنْ يُجَابِرُكَ Who can be your neighbor? Who could be your neighbor, O Allah? فَيَقُولُ So Allah will say, أَيْنَ عُمَّارُ الْمَسَاجِدِ Where are those people who used to populate the masjid? Those people who used to go to the masjid and keep the masjid alive and busy. Where are those people? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call out to them. There's a hadith which is authentic. Uh, Imam Albani has mentioned it in Asilsatu Sahiha. Because remember that the reward is also determined by ihtisab. Right? That if a person looks forward to that reward, he does something for the sake of Allah. With the niyyah. So if you're going to the masjid every day anyway, improve your niyyah. So that inshallah the reward is improved. Knowledge is what makes action easier. Right? When the salah is established, meaning the iqama has been pronounced. So once the iqama has been said, فَلَا salata, Then there is no salah illa al-maktuba except that which is prescribed. Meaning that which has to be performed at that time. Now, the, the wordings of this bab are actually from a hadith which is reported in Muslim. It does not meet the high standard of Bukhari. This is why Imam Bukhari did not record that hadith. But it is authentic. That إِذَا أُقِيمَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَلَا صَلَاةَ إِلَّا الْمَكْتُوبَةِ Now what does it mean by this? That once the iqama has been said, then no prayer except for the prescribed prayer. What this means is that when a jama'ah is going to be established, people are together in the masjid, iqama has been pronounced. Then can a person start saying nafl? He says, it's okay, you all pray in jama'ah, I'm just going to pray myself. My voluntary prayer. Can he do that? No. Can he pray his sunnah? He says that, you know, I didn't get a chance to pray my sunnah first, I'm going to pray right now. You guys continue with your prayer, and if I get to join you, I'll join you. Can he do that? No. Once the iqama is said, then no prayer should be performed except which one? The maktuba one. Alright? Now, what does it mean by this? Fala salata. This has been interpreted in two ways. First of all, la salata meaning it is not allowed. So you're not allowed to pray. Any other prayer. Others have said la salata means it is invalid. It is invalid. So a person, if he insists and he prays something else, then will it be accepted? Will it bring any reward? It's not valid. La salata. It will not be counted as nafil even. Why? Because he should be praying the maktuba right now. Now, this also means that once the iqama has been said, then we cannot begin any prayer, alright, except for the maktuba, nor can we continue with any prayer except for the maktuba. Because another prayer that a person could be praying, it could be that, let's say he says, you know, the imam is coming, the iqama has been said, he's coming, and I'll just say my two nafal quickly, I'll catch them in ruku, I'll join them in ruku. I'll join them in the second rakah. 
can he start nafil prayers then? He cannot start them. What if he was praying from before and the iqama was pronounced? Then what should he do? Should he carry on or should he end his prayer? Because he has to join the jama'ah. Right? So then, what should he do? Let's say he started saying his sunnah. So he's saying four rak'ah. And he is in the third rak'ah, for instance, in the sajda. Should he end the prayer right there? No. He can complete the prayer quickly. He can perform the fourth rak'ah very lightly, very quickly, and join the jama'ah. Even if he misses the you know half of the first rak'ah or somewhat, it, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he had the intention of joining it and he knew that he could join it very soon. Alright? But let's say he just started the prayer. He's in the first rakah. Or he knows that the imam does not recite much Qur'an in the salah. So his rakah is going to be very short. You know, some people do that to make it easy for the people because there's a lot of children, for instance. So he knows that the imam is not going to read Surah Al-Nabai, he's probably going to read Surah Al-Ikhlas. So in that situation, what should a person do? Instantly break the prayer, break his nafal, and join the jama'ah, end the prayer. So if he thinks that he can complete his prayer and join the jama'ah well in time, then he should go ahead and do that. But if he thinks that no, it's not going to work, then what should he do? End the prayer. And sometimes what happens is that... Uh, because a person is praying himself, all right, his nafal or whatever, and other people are standing to form the rows, and they're waiting for this person to finish, right? They cannot even form the the, the rows properly, right? So if our nafal is affecting someone's fard, then what is necessary? That either we quickly complete the nafal, or if we're not able to do that, then end it, break it. This also shows to us that once the adhan has been said. And you know that the time of iqama is going to be any second now. Then what should you do? Start your nafal? No. Don't do that. Unless you have a reason to think that you'll be able to complete it before the iqama. Then in that case, go off to the side or go towards the back so that the rows are not affected. So, Bab, إِذَا أُقِيمَتِ الصَّلَاةِ فَلَا صَلَاةَ إِلَّا الْمَكْتُوبَةِ حدثنا عبد العزيز بن عبد الله قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد عن أبيه عن حفص بن عاصم عن عبد الله بن مالك ابن بحينة قال مر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم برجل قال وحدثني عبد الرحمن قال حدثنا بهز بن أسد قال حدثنا شعبة قال أخبرني سعد بن إبراهيم قال سمعت حفص بن عاصم قال سمعت رجلا من الأزد يقال له مالك بن بحينة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ra'a rajulan, he saw a man waqad uqimat as-salatu and the iqama had been pronounced and this man, what was he doing? yusalli raka'atayn he was performing two raka'a falamman sarafa rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in sarafa, meaning he finished the prayer what happened? latha bihin nas the people surrounded him who? either the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or this man whom the Prophet ﷺ saw praying two rak'ah when the iqamah had been pronounced. So what happened? Then, وَقَالَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet ﷺ said to that man, أَصْصُبْحُ أَرْبَعًا أَصْصُبْحُ أَرْبَعًا Is the Fajr prayer four rak'ah? Is the Fajr prayer four rak'ah? Why did he say that? It was as though he was objecting that why did you pray 
two raka'ah when the iqamah had been pronounced. You should have been praying only that which is maktubah. So the fajr prayer is not four raka'ah, it is two raka'ah, and it should be said with the congregation, why were you praying by yourself? تَابَعُهُ غُنْدَرٌ وَمُعَادٌ عَنْ شُعْبَةَ فِي مَالِكٍ وَقَالَ بْنُ إِسْحَاقَ عَنْ سَعْدٍ عَنْ حَفْصٍ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ بُحَيْنَةَ وَقَالَ حَمَّادٌ أَخْبَرَنَا سَعْدٌ عَنْ حَفْصٍ عَنْ مَالِكٍ So is it clear? باب حد المريضي أن يشهد الجماعة حد What does حد mean? حد limit So the حد of a مريض The degree of a sick person, meaning of his sickness. Ayyashhada that he should witness al Jama'ah, the group prayer. Meaning to what degree of illness is a person required to go to the congregational prayer with? You understand? Because there's levels of illness, right? Levels of sickness. So one person, he has you know, a cold or something and slight fever. Is he exempted from the prayer altogether? Meaning from Jama'ah. Can he just pray at home and not go for the congregation? But what if there's a person who's not even able to get up and walk? His illness is different. So will he be exempt from the Jama'ah? Yes. He has to pray himself for sure. But is he required to go to the masjid? No. So... How is it that we determined that this person is too sick to go to Jama'ah? Because what happens is that when we are sick, we become very, very lenient with ourselves. Very lenient. Even the things that we can do, we allow ourselves to not do. Because we say we're sick. Whereas if you think about it, we are able to do many things. Right? Like for example, if you look at a young girl, if she has slight fever, she'll just stay in bed all day. Or she'll sit on the couch and watch television. Why? Because I'm sick. Right? I can't do anything. But if there is a mother who has a baby, even if she has really high fever, what is she doing? Even with that high fever and those burning eyes, what is she doing? She's changing the baby's diaper. Right? She's giving a bath to the baby. She's doing everything. So it shows that we have the capacity to do our regular work even with illness. Right? But it doesn't mean that we have to do it to the point where our sickness is getting aggravated. So when it comes to the matter of prayer, when it comes to jama'ah, when is a person allowed to stay behind from jama'ah due to illness? حدثنا عمر بن حفص بن غياث قال حدثني أبي قال حدثنا الأعمش عن إبراهيم قال الأسود قال كنا عند عائشة رضي الله عنها فذكرنا المواظبة على الصلاة He said we were with Aisha رضي الله عنها and we all were talking about مواظبة على الصلاة What does that mean? To be constant, to be regular with the prayers والتعظيم لها and honoring them So they were talking about performing the prayer regularly, consistently, on time, right? And also honoring the prayer. Qalat, she said, when this discussion was going on, she said, لَمَّا مَرِضَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ When the Prophet ﷺ became ill, مَرَضَهُ الَّذِي مَاتَ فِيهِ The illness in which he died, فَحَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةُ What happened once that the time of prayer entered? It came in. فَأُذِّنَ So the adhan was given. فَقَالَ 
So the Prophet ﷺ said, Muru Aba Bakrin Falyusallibinas. Tell Abu Bakr and he should pray with the people, meaning he should lead the people in prayer. Because he didn't find in himself the strength to go and lead the people in prayer. We see that he did initially, but then when his sickness got worsened, he wasn't able to go to the masjid. So he said that Abu Bakr should lead the people in prayer. فَقِيلَ لَهُ So it was said to him, إِنَّ أَبَا بَكْرٍ رَجُلٌ Abu Bakr is a man who is asif. Who is asif? From asif. Meaning someone who is very tender hearted. Very soft hearted. He will start crying. He won't be able to lead the people in prayer. إِذَا قَامَ فِي مَقَامِكَ When he will stand in your place, لَمْ يَسْتَطِرْ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ بِالنَّاسِ He will not be able to lead the people in prayer. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ وَأَعَادَ He repeated again, Go tell Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer. فَأَعَادُوا لَهُ And they said the same thing. That Abu Bakr won't be able to do it. فَأَعَادَ الثَّالِثَةَ He repeated the third time, Go tell Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer. فَقَالَ And he also said at that time, إِنَّ كُنَّ صَوَاحِبُ يُوسُفِ إِنَّ كُنَّ Indeed you, meaning you women, because it was his wives basically who were telling him. He said, Indeed you women are صَوَاحِبُ يُوسُفِ The companions of Yusuf. Meaning you're being like the women who tempted Yusuf salam. What does it mean? That remember all those women who came, right? And what were they telling him? To listen to the wife of the Aziz. Right? So basically, distracting him from his purpose. He was doing something right by keeping away from her. And all these women are telling him, listen to her. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ was doing something right by saying, go tell Abu Bakr. But what are you doing? Stopping me from that. Right? So he said, you are like the women who distracted Yusuf ﷺ. Muru Aba Bakrin, فَلْيُصَلِّ بِالنَّاسِ Go tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer. فَخَرَجَ Abu Bakrin فَصَلَّى So Abu Bakr, he came and he prayed. Meaning he led the people in prayer. فَوَجَدَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مِن نَفْسِهِ خِفَّةً then the Prophet ﷺ, he found in himself khiffah, lightness. Meaning, he felt better. So while the prayer was going on, he felt a little better. He found himself light enough that he could carry his own weight. In the sense that he found the strength to perform the prayer. فَخَرَجَ So he went out, meaning out of the house to the masjid. يُهَادَ And he was being led, meaning being taken. بَيْنَ رَجُلَيْنِ Between two men. So two men, they were taking the Prophet ﷺ to the masjid. Aisha anha said, كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُ رِجْلَيْهِ It is as though I can see his feet. تَخُطَّانِ Dragging مِنَ الْوَجَعِ From the pain. He wasn't able to walk himself. He was taking the support of two men, one on his right, one on his left. And he, his feet were dragging. Why? Out of pain. فَأَرَادَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ أَنْ يَتَأَخَّرَ When the Prophet ﷺ got to the Masjid, meaning to the place where the salah was being performed, Abu Bakr intended to yata'akhara, move back. Meaning, to leave the place of the imam and join the saf behind him. فَأَوْمَأَ إِلَيْهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَنْ But the Prophet ﷺ, he gestured to him, no, no, stay in your place. Don't go back, stay in your place. Keep leading the people. ثُمَّ أُتِيَ بِهِ Then he was brought, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, kept going towards Abu Bakr حَتَّى جَلَسَ إِلَى جَنْبِهِ until he sat 
on his side. Meaning, the Prophet ﷺ went and joined Abu Bakr and sat on his side. قِيلَ لِلْأَعْمَشِ Armash was asked, وَكَانَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ يُصَلِّي وَأَبُو بَكْرٍ يُصَلِّي بِصَلَاتِهِ Was it that the Prophet ﷺ was praying and Abu Bakr was following him وَالنَّاسُ يُصَلُّونَ بِصَلَاتِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ And the people were following Abu Bakr? So in other words, the Prophet ﷺ was, he came, he became the Imam, Abu Bakr was following the Prophet ﷺ and the rest of the people were following Abu Bakr? You understand the order? Right? So what happened? فَقَالَ بِرَأْسِهِ نَعْم So he said with his head, yes. Meaning he gestured with his head, yes. This is how it was happening. وَرَوَاهُ أَبُوْ دَاوُودِ Imam Bukhari says that Abu Dawood has narrated this عَنْ شُعْبَةَ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشِ بَعْضَهُ وَزَادَ أَبُوْ مُعَاوِيَةَ جَلَسَ عَنْ يَسَارِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ That the Prophet ﷺ sat on the left side of Abu Bakr. فَكَانَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ يُصَلِّي قَائِمًا And Abu Bakr was leading the people in prayer, how? While standing. Now, what exactly uh, was going on? Meaning, who was the Imam? Who was the Muqtadi? Allahu Adam. This was a, a very unique situation. And this is something that doesn't happen. It cannot happen again. Right? It was only with the Prophet ﷺ. But what is the lesson that we can learn from this? The Prophet ﷺ, first of all, didn't leave the prayer. He didn't leave the people. Go figure it out yourselves. No. When he had the strength, he said, go send, go tell Abu Bakr to lead the people in prayer. And he said three times, because he knew that Abu Bakr was the most deserving of this position. And this was also a signal to the people that after him, who would be the leader of the believers? Abu Bakr anhu. And then we see that the Prophet ﷺ, as soon as he found in himself the strength to get up and go to the masjid, he went to the masjid. How? Leaning against two people and his feet dragging. So how is it that we can exempt ourselves from our major responsibilities on slightest illness? We don't have to take the support of people in order to walk. Alhamdulillah. We can walk, we can limp a little bit, but we can walk, alhamdulillah. But what happens? We become so easy with ourselves that we think on the slightest illness, I'll just sit and pray. I'll just sit and pray. It's amazing how we can walk from the bedroom to the living room, sit on the couch, get, get ourselves a cup of tea, watch television, and when it comes to reading the du'as, we say, my eyes are burning because of the fever. Or when it comes to prayer, we think, I, I, I can't bend down for ruku, I can't stand for long. Allah is the most deserving. He is the most deserving of our servitude. The moment the Prophet ﷺ felt better, he went to the masjid. The jama'ah is going on. He didn't say, okay, they're doing it. Never mind, I'll just pray myself. No, he went and joined the congregation. Right? But what happens is that as soon as we feel better, we think about how we can relax, how we can enjoy ourselves. But the Prophet ﷺ, as soon as he felt better, he went to the worship of Allah. And the thing is that if we make ourselves feel better, then we will feel better. Half of our illness is in the head. Right? Many times it happens that a person is feeling sick and they cannot go to the doctor. As soon as they go to the doctor, they're fine. Isn't it? Why? Because it's psychological. I'll go to the doctor. The doctor will give me a prescription. Even if I don't eat that medication, 
this having that prescription, you know, at least I know what's going on with me. And we start feeling better instantly. It's all psychological. So sometimes you have to tell yourself, I'm fine. It's okay. Yes. Don't be too easy with yourself that you fall too much behind and that, and then it's difficult to get up. I mean, some illnesses, they're different. That a person cannot do anything at all. Right? But every illness is different. And who's the best judge? The sick person. You yourself are the best judge. In hadith we learn, مَنْ يَتَصَبَّرْ يُصَبِّرْهُ اللَّهُ Whoever strives to be patient, Allah makes him patient. Allah gives him the ability to be patient. So you have to make yourself do sabr in illness also. It's okay if I'm hurting a little bit. I'll focus in prayer and inshallah I'll get better. And once you make up your mind, I have to do this, even if I'm sick, then you can do it. And the more you focus on the illness, the more you focus on the pain, the more difficult that pain becomes for you to bear. Isn't it so? And when you busy yourself with other things, with more important things, then the pain is also easier to deal with. Recently my daughter, we had to get her some uh, shots. So what happened was that she had a big band-aid on her arm. And every time she saw the band-aid, she wept. Or every time the word band-aid was mentioned, she wept. So it was so difficult for us to even change her. Because A, she wouldn't let anybody touch her arm. And B, the band-aid, if she saw it, it was very difficult. So just in one day it was so difficult, I said, I have to remove this band-aid somehow. Doesn't matter if she cries or fusses, I have to take it off. Because the more she sees it, it will remind her of the pain. So Alhamdulillah, once we took it off and threw it away, she got over it. Right? So this is the same thing happens. When you keep looking at the pain, when you keep focusing on the illness, it becomes difficult for you to do anything else. Exactly. Occupy yourself with something beneficial. You know, on the Day of Judgment, one thing that people will regret a lot over is wasting their time. Wasting their moments. Right? So in sickness, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken everything away from you and you're forced to be in bed, make the most of that time. Ayyub yes. in health and sickness, when he had everything and we, when he had nothing, in both the situations he kept himself busy with the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Allah likes the actions that are consistent. When a person goes out to give sadaqah, he breaks the jaws of 70 shayateen. 70 shayateen. Because, you know, to do something good, who's holding you back? Shaitan. It's like as if he's locked you up. 70 shayateen have locked you up, you know, with their jaws. But when you struggle against them, you break them all and give sadaqah. Right? So shaitan will become weaker and weaker. But when a person is sick, he's feeling down, feeling low. Shaitan tries to overpower him a lot. And we see that with sickness, a person gets depressed and sad also. What is it that will bring peace and contentment to the heart? The dhikr of Allah. And that is exactly what shaitan will stop you from. So you have to force yourself. Make yourself do it. And when you will make yourself do it, inshallah you'll be able to do it. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.